Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, podcast listeners. We have a stuffed Sunday episode. Before we get to all the hoops here, I wanted to give you a heads up on Paramount+. Plus. You've probably seen the journey to Mount Paramount spots featuring Bill Cower, James Corden, Patrick Stewart, Beavis and Butthead are in the mix. It is quite the squad. Paramount Plus is live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day right to movie night with Paramount Plus. You can stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, and even new episodes of the critically acclaimed original series, Star Trek, Picard, The Good Fight, and The Stand. And get this, it's where you can dive into live sports from CBS Sports, including the NFL, March Madness, The Masters, Champions League Soccer, plus all the hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Smithsonian Channel, and Comedy Central. Live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. Paramount Plus, streaming March 4th. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, February 21st, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and there's no sensible place to start other than with the game of the weekend, which might have been the game of the year. Number three, Michigan at number four, Ohio State. It was on CBS, America's most watched network, network of stars. It did not disappoint. Two great teams going back and forth. Big shots on both ends. Physical play on both ends. Final score, Michigan 92, Ohio State 87. Deadleg, you wrote about it. What'd you think about it? Uh, well, it was a hell of a game. By the way, thank God for the mute button here. Uh, going to be going through it. I am battling, GP, just so you're aware. Uh, a just nasty, nasty head cold. It has been quite the adventure. Went out sledding with the boys on Friday, and I've been paying for it ever since. Are you fully vaccinated, just out of curiosity? Is that done? I'm not fully vaccinated. My my second shot was scheduled for yesterday morning, got canceled because of snow. It is now rescheduled for 9.20 a.m. Central tomorrow morning on Monday morning. The next time, I swear to God, What's the next that? time you talk to me, I'm I'm be fully va- I'm going to be a fully vaccinated human. All right, good deal. Hope that's the case, and uh, yeah, just uh, I'll be executed. Apologies if I unintentionally sneeze on this podcast or whatever. Uh, boys have just got me uh, really rolling here, so we'll we'll power through and we'll make it happen here. That was a hell of a game. Um, I do think it was the best game. It was certainly as hyped of a matchup as we've had in the season. I did. I mentioned on the Friday pod that. Um, I think I mentioned in passing uh, off the top of my head it was the the only top five matchup uh, this season. That is incorrect. That is shame on me all the way through. We have had two other ones. Uh, if you read my story from Sunday Parish, you know what they are, but I don't think you have since we started podcasting. Can you name me the other two games that were top five matchups? Trivia time. Gonzaga, Iowa. Yes, they were. That was Iowa's three, and Gonzaga was one when that happened. What's the other one? The other one is gonna be. Does, it right. wasn't Gonzaga, Kansas, was no, it? No, it was not. I'll tell you what it was. Yeah, please. Speaks to what I'm, the point I'm about to make here. The other one was when Baylor beat then-ranked 5th Illinois by 13 points, 82-69 on December 2nd there. Um, Gonzaga, Iowa's entertaining, certainly plenty hyped. Uh, Baylor, Illinois was a nice game to get, but Illinois wasn't you know ultra-competitive in that game. And here we had two teams that matched the hype. Undoubt, no doubt about it. Michigan wins 92-87 on the road in convincing fashion. Both teams, you know, at 1.3 points per possession or better, shooting out of their minds uh, from the field. And Michigan at one point was 11 of 14 from three-point range. It finished 11 of 23 from beyond the arc. Uh, Ohio State was 11 of 22 uh, from three-point range. Both teams better than 55% from two-point range there. And, yeah, just a hell of a game. Um we can certainly talk about how Michigan fits into the overall hierarchy of the sport. We can definitely get into that. But uh, I did write a column on this. It'll be in the podcast description. My big takeaway was, you know, 
You and I love the sport, and we cover it uh, in, in multiple facets in, in, in many ways every single day of the week here. But from a national perspective, and maybe for even people that are coming to this podcast, this is the first one you've listened to this season, potentially, or you've just gotten on board after the football's ended. Um, college basketball season has been uh, just okay. It could be great if we had undefeated teams that were able to continually play, but we've had multiple teams like Michigan and Gonzaga and Baylor and Villanova and Florida State that have had weeks-long pauses. And obviously, you don't want your best teams that are just... Uh, out for um, you know three, four, five game stretches here. So with March just around the corner, we're now what eight days away from uh, from getting to March here to have a top five matchup in a standalone spot on CBS that was this watchable, that was this good. It wasn't like this was crappy defense. This was amazing offense, big shot after big shot. Hunter Dickinson really uh, reannounced himself with authority. Parish, I just I can't rave enough about this game. It wasn't. It didn't come down to the final shot. Ohio State did have a couple of bad gaffes down the stretch there, and then Michigan was able to capitalize and ultimately win. But that was a that was a really impressive win, and I thought a really good day for college basketball. You know, over the past couple of days, I've watched Illinois, Minnesota, and then Michigan, Ohio State, and both those teams, uh, uh, Michigan and Illinois, the two winners. They have physically imposing bigs that just throw their body around. I mean, Kofi Coburn for Illinois just just throws his body into people, and Hunter Dickinson does the exact same thing. 7-1-255, and he just big boys other bigs on the regular. 22 points, 9 rebounds. He was awesome in this game. The entire, to your point, the entire game was awesome. I mean, I, I know it got up to 9, I think, late, um, and, and so it, it might not have seemed like it was that game was undecided for 37 minutes. I mean, it was undecided for 37 minutes, back and forth, back and forth. Just a, a high-level game between two legitimately great teams. You know, I, I do think those are two of the best five or six teams in America. And to Michigan, I would just circle back to what I said on Friday. I actually prefaced it by saying, I'm going to regret this. But what I subsequently said was, I think Michigan is closer to Gonzaga and Baylor than Michigan is to Ohio State. I don't know if I'm quite ready to put Michigan with Gonzaga and Baylor. Certainly the metrics don't back that up. But but when you watch them, they look the part, man. They, they move the ball. They play hard every possession. Um, it's stuff that I noticed earlier in the season. You could go back into the old podcast, and I was like, when I watch Michigan, they look the part. They don't, they don't seem to pay attention to score. They play every possession. They move the ball. They seem to enjoy playing with each other. They've got shot makers. They've got future pros. And so I, I wasn't surprised by what happened Sunday. I was thrilled that Ohio State showed up as well and made it, you know, again, arguably the best game of the season so far. But I was not surprised that Michigan was able to do what it's what it did. That is what Michigan has been doing almost. I mean, without exception, the obvious exception being the first 20 minutes after their COVID-19 pulse. So right before we uh, started podcasting, I did pull up Ken Palm and ran the math real quick in terms of efficiency margin as of Sunday at about 7 PM Eastern, uh, Gonzaga, again, just, I think it vaporized uh, the San Diego men's basketball program out of existence. Uh, it's 22 and 0. It just continues to just uh, feast on that conference. Uh, and it's helping its efficiency margin with every subsequent win. So Gonzaga's gap now with idle Baylor, which is set to finally return on Tuesday is 3.5 points in efficiency margin. Um, that's pretty damn wide, and it's wider than it was, obviously, two, three weeks ago when they were kind of flipping spots on a, depending on who had played the most recent game. Gonzaga's starting to pull away a little bit there. Baylor and Michigan, the difference, it's 4.38 points. Um, that's obviously still a significant gap. It's, it's fr frankly, it's one of the three biggest gaps that, that we would have if it was that large at the end of the season between the second and third Ken Palm team in the past 22, 23 years here. Um, so keep that in mind. I do think there is something to that. I didn't include this in my column, but I thought about it, and I kind of wrote out a little graph, and then I just it didn't have a place in there. Is Michigan as good as Gonzaga and Baylor? Um, well, Baylor's played 17 games. Michigan's played 17 games. One team 17-0. Michigan's 16-1. Michigan does have... An 18-point loss at Minnesota, and that Minnesota team is now, you can really make the case, and we'll get to that game in a little bit, that it should not be in the tournament if we were to start it tomorrow there. I have to count that against Michigan to a certain extent, but just as much with that, you know, I counteract that by saying Michigan was able to return from a 23-day break and kind of completely snap out of it in the second half against Wisconsin last Sunday. 
win in kind of a by-the-numbers-as-expected style at home against Rutgers on Thursday, and then win the way that it did against Ohio State, fully loaded, was super impressive. So I have no, I have really no issue if you want to say that the sport now has a top three. I think I'm okay with that. With Ohio State, what's interesting is this. It still has the most quad one wins as, of any team in the country, as you well know, as someone who updates your top 25 and one every single morning here. It's seventh, it's, it's seventh in Ken Palm right now. So its resume is still top four in the country, but it wasn't the fourth team in advanced metrics heading into this game. It still may well be that, but as we sit here, Iowa was able to pull away from Penn State on Sunday. But Ken Palm's got it at Iowa four, Illinois five, Houston six, and then Ohio State seven. Is Ohio State really the seventh best team? I don't know. It does have five losses. If anything, it's impressive how it's overcome that parish because there's no bad loss in there. But it does have five to uh, you know uh, right there alongside Illinois as well there. Um, so I find that to be interesting. We we talked about as though there was a, a top four because that was the projected one seats. That's true. I'm just curious if their resume strength really matches up with their team strength overall. I definitely love Ohio State, what they can do going forward. But they are a small team, and you saw that be a real problem against Michigan. They have no one over 6'8", and Hunter, Hunter Dickinson might have ultimately been the difference in that game. And if that was the case then, well, there's plenty of other teams that have reliable big men, and maybe Ohio State has a certain type of ceiling that's going to prevent it from either getting to a Final Four or a championship game should it run up against a really good team that has quality size because that's clearly the biggest weakness for the Buckeyes right now. I believe it was on last Sunday's podcast after Michigan had played that first game back from COVID pause against Wisconsin. And I'd sort of referenced our our buddy Rob Doster had written something recently about there is no third best team in college basketball. And I was like, but there is. It's Michigan. They just hadn't played in a while. But Michigan is the third best team. It'd be like saying there's no second best team in the country. Well, there is. It's Baylor. They just haven't played in a while. I think while Michigan was on pause, people forgot. Some people forgot like how awesome Michigan was. But boy, you were reminded of it in the second half against Wisconsin. I think probably reminded of it earlier this week against Rutgers and then undeniably reminded of it uh, against Ohio State. And for whatever, for anybody who might care, I left Ohio State fourth in the top 25 and one for Monday morning. I, I'm not going to punish them for a competitive loss to, to Michigan. And truth is, when you go compare resumes, to because I, I mean, Illinois is fifth. Mm-hmm. If you compare the uh, Ohio State and Illinois resumes, they're very similar, except Ohio State's got two more quad one wins. I mean, be, beyond that, everything is basically the same. Ohio State's got more great wins. So Ohio State stays at four. If I were doing a bracket today, the Ohio State would be the fourth number one seed, um, even after the loss to Michigan, same way they were before the loss to Michigan. Upcoming schedule, this is nice. Michigan, Iowa on Thursday. How good is that going to be? It's going to, uh, listen, shouts to Luca Garza, who by uh, by nature of the game on Sunday, he is now the all-time leading scorer in Iowa history, uh, passes uh, Roy Marble. That's a big, big, big-time honor there. That's great, but did you look at the, I mentioned this on HQ in the postgame GP. Um, they've got Iowa, if the schedule holds, Iowa at Indiana Saturday, and then just another gar- potentially gargantuan. It's a home tilt against Illinois. But the but the reason why that's all interesting to me is that you know Hunter Dickinson has been awesome, but he's a freshman. And now, like if you were to make a list of the five best big men in the country, I think you could fairly make a, a case that four of them at least are in the Big Ten. Dickinson, and then he's going to play Garza, and then he's going to play Trace Jackson Davis, and then he's going to play Kofi Coburn. He's got an, a very, very big test on an individual basis coming up here for Michigan. I would anticipate the Wolverines, as good as they are, are going to get tripped up in one of those three games, at least. Uh, and if so, there's no there's no you know shame in that whatsoever. Michigan, by virtue of this win, by the way, I won't say it's a lock, at, a lock one seed because I, I'm very litigious with my lock terminology. And if, you know, if Michigan were to lose four games uh, between now and the tournament, like uh, the selection show, then that's not lock territory. But it's going to take something major for Michigan not to be a one seed. And, uh, and these, you know, these, three, these next three games with Dickinson having, uh, going up against veteran bigs at that, I find that to be intriguing. But, yes, the Iowa ones, obviously a huge one we'll preview on the Wednesday show. I would be worried about that uh, for most freshman bigs, not named, you know, Greg Oden or Jalil Okafor or Anthony Davis. But um, I'm not worried about Dick. Dickinson doesn't have a freshman body. That like he's he's a big boy. Um, now, like Coburn's a monster, and Luca is very strong. 
But I like I think he can. I don't think he'll get physically overwhelmed. You know, like he physically overwhelmed Wisconsin's bigs last weekend. Physically overwhelmed everybody in Ohio State's front court today. I don't think. I think he'll. You know, listen, if I were ranking bigs, would I have him ranked ahead of Luca? Of course not. Would I have him ranked ahead of uh, Kofi? Of course not. But I think he can play with them. I, I don't think they'll be at a great disadvantage because they got a freshman big going up against these non-freshman bigs. The way he throws his body around, I, I think he'll he'll mostly be fine. Agree. Just something to keep an eye on there with uh, with with Michigan overall. But yeah, what a wonderful what a wonderful game. Great uh, great Sunday action. And, and the, in my opinion, probably the the most rewarding watch at least in terms of regular season season hoops. Uh, two t- top five teams, and uh, Juwan Howard's got that. Got that crew rolling there. Did we see real quick? Uh, we don't like. The, I I missed it in real time. I was I was getting ready for my HQ hit, but uh, Chris Hunter, the Michigan Dobo, on the phone. <laughs> at the I, end of I the didn't game. see it in real time, but I've obviously seen the pictures on Twitter. It's uh, it's it's obviously it's it's one. It's funny. Uh, two. I was aware. Were you aware that that's not allowed? Like I was aware that that is a rule. You cannot. You're not supposed to have your phone and use it on the on the bench. Were you aware that was a thing? I don't. I don't know if I was aware of that. It is a thing, and uh, but how about this? So John Adams, uh, who was the former uh, director of officiating for the NCAA until a few years ago, he said it's Rule 10, Section 4, Article 2. An official uh, uh, prohibits use of electronic transmission by a coach and or all bench personnel, but it's Schrodinger's cell phone here because an official would have to see it in order to assess a penalty, a penalty, uh, we're not in the business of, to quote him, self-reporting uh, this kind of thing. Are you are you familiar with uh, the, with the principle of Schrodinger's cat? What are you talking about right now? You don't know Schrodinger's cat. What he's saying is, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get uh, let, let's dive into the into the uh, philosophies of. Uh, of quantum physics here. You've never heard of Schrodinger's cat? Yes, you have. It's the idea that if if uh, if a cat's put in a in a box, right, and there's something I've heard I've heard of I've heard of choking your chicken, but I don't know anything about this cat thing. The idea, and I'm gonna I'm going to in part butcher this and and just really trim it down to its bare essentials. You put a cat in a box, okay, <laughs> or in a room. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna put a cat in a box. Or it's, story, it's in an enclosed story area. Over. I'm not doing it. It's in an enclosed area, and there's a there's a there's a, a radioactive particle that can that can kill the cat. But until you open the box or open the door to the room, the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. The, the theory is that the reality of that situation does not become actual reality until it can be observed from the outside world. And so, as John Adams was saying here, if the officials don't see the dobo on the phone, then there's not really anything that's happened against the rule. It's only when it's been observed by the official that you've actually broken the rule, or so John Adams claims. And so, what I'm saying is uh, Michigan didn't kill the cat. And I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're comparing a dobo using a phone to a cat being in a room. I know sometimes my, my analogies aren't perfect. <laughs> but they don't always land exactly the way I want, but I ain't never compared anything to a, putting a cat in a room. I, I was just, I was kind of vamping off the top of my head there, but that was, <laughs> listen, last time you saw someone, it, it did have, it does have this like bizarre. Like last time you saw anyone in a basketball game in team gear, like whip out, whip out their phone just almost never happens. Right. Um, I think that's true. Except as you're telling this story, I can remember when I was a prep writer a billion years ago that there, there, there was this basketball player, Booker T. Washington high school named Torian Moy T head. And he set the national record for three pointers in a game. I think he made 27 in a high school game and set the national record. I did a big story on him. Same day, the story, like national record on a Tuesday night. I do a big story on him Wednesday. Gets arrested Wednesday. (laughs) Just all things a mess, all right? Um, But part of that story was that people were calling from the bench to their friends, yo, you got to get up here to the gym. T-Head got 24 three-pointers or something like that. That I remember that being part of the story, part of the legend of that story, is that players were calling their friends from the bench saying, you got to get up here. T-Head just knocked down this 24 three-pointer. And that would have been like 2004. Yeah, like, like, like 2000, like wow. 2001, like a long time. It was that, a long that's, time. Uh, that's before basically text messaging effectively. So that's why they had to call because text messaging wasn't really much of a thing then. 
Right. And T-head. then somebody somebody in recent years made a documentary on T-Head. I bet if you go to YouTube and type in Tori and Moy or T-Head, I bet you something pops up about this documentary. Schrodinger's cell phone. There we go. <laughs> Are we ready to move on? Let's do it. Duke upset Virginia inside Cameron Indoor on Saturday. So the Blue Devils are 5-8 and eight with Jalen Johnson, 5-0 and oh without Jalen Johnson. So are they really better without Jalen Johnson? And is the NCAA tournament suddenly in sight? We'll get into it next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. So the biggest game that was played... After dark on Saturday was probably Duke, Virginia, inside Cameron Indoor. The Blue Devils were underdogs on their home court to the seventh-ranked Cavaliers, but they won 66-65. So now they're 10-8 and overall, 8-6 and in the ACC. More interesting, they're 5-8 and with Jalen Johnson in the lineup, 5-0 and without Jalen Johnson in the lineup. So dead leg, two questions. Do you believe Duke is actually better without Jalen Johnson? And, and number two, were folks too quick to eliminate Duke from at-large contention for the 2021 NCAA tournament. I mean, as I just heard it, Duke's won the same amount of games with Jalen Johnson and without. That's true. Same exact number of games. More losses. More losses. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, A lot more losses. Eight more. I'm actually not there yet. I know that the data at this point supports that. Give me two more games here. Syracuse and Louisville are the next two games for Duke. If they can be played as scheduled, Cuse is a Monday night tip, and that's that's a... it's, that's an interesting game for a couple of reasons. I'll get to in a second. Uh, if that can be played, and then uh, Louisville on on Saturday, um, that might also be urgent there. Um, so Jim Beheim goes out, does a radio interview, I guess, and says Duke's going to be way better without him. Basically, says Jalen Johnson sucks, and then he kind of walks it back, but not entirely over the weekend. And now he's, in, he's Jim Beheim, coach of Bubble Syracuse team, is going to find himself in the position of hoping he's wrong because he's going to want to hope that Duke is, in fact, not better without Jalen Johnson because if it is, that means his Syracuse team will then lose on Monday night against Duke. So that's kind of an ironic twist there. Um, do you ask me if people were too soon to knock Duke out of the tournament picture, basically, right? Right, because we went we, – even – you and I had been talking in recent weeks, like, you know, Kentucky's not going to make the tournament. Duke's not going to make the tournament. I don't know that we were putting them in the exact same category, but we were certainly talking about them in those terms. And you look up right now, and I'll explain it in a moment, but there is an undeniable path to an at-large bid for Duke. I don't know if they'll get there, but the path is there. It's possible. The path is there, and they needed to win. That's why Saturday's game is significant. Um, Credit to Matthew Hurt, who has been terrific the past three games and he is I mean he's the Duke player people should be talking about he has been fantastic hit a couple of big big shots in uh in Saturday's game that kind of just you know kept trading blows with Virginia and ultimately that wound up being a thing so Duke is still in this if it had lost Virginia it's done it would have had no shot but now yes there's a path I think that's fair um it's not in the field yet no way it's uh here where it stands in the metrics um 55 in the net as we record this uh, strength of record, 62. That ain't good enough. KPI, 71. Pure results-based metric. That's not good. Predictives are still generally bullish on Duke. Sagarin's at 27. Ken Palm's at 30. BPI's at 31. Keep that in mind. But when you actually dig into the resume here, what are the best wins? Clearly, the Virginia win at home is the best win. If you really start to poke around Virginia, it's a good win. It is not a five-star gold win. We would agree, right, Parrish? I keep hearing people say this. Virginia's resume is pretty good. 
if you were to say a team's resume is pretty good, I would say that's three seed or better. And I don't think you can say Virginia's a three seed as of today. It's no longer even in first place in the ACC. That's fine. But like, here's what Virginia is ninth at Ken Palm, and they're eight and four in the first two quadrants with one loss outside of the first two quadrants, that quad three loss to San Francisco, which by the way, just like flips back and forth between quad three and quad two. So let's, let's move that into quad two and, and, and trust San Francisco to get wherever it needs to get. And then you're uh, eight and six inside the first two quadrants. Again, I'm not, or eight and five inside the first two quadrants. I'm not trying to tell you that's great, but I am trying to tell you that it is, probably not too far away from top three C top three C would be what uh, 12 top 12. Yeah. I've got Virginia right now. 16th Virginia doesn't have more than one win over against, against a likely NCAA tournament team right now at Clemson is its best win uh, against North Carolina is a good win at Georgia tech at Notre Dame. That's what it's really, that's what it's relying on. Um, I still, so I'm of two minds here again. It's almost like a little bit of the inverse of Ohio state. I'm still going to trust Virginia if it gets right here, and then it's you know it's got five losses now. If it's got six at the start of the tournament, like I'm probably I'd have to be talked out of putting them into the second weekend. But the point is that's that's by far Duke's best win. And then if you look around Virginia's resume, it's it it could certainly uh, it could certainly toughen things up there. So outside of Virginia, what's Duke have at Notre Dame? Okay, home to Clemson, solid at NC State. All right, it's in the picture, but I think because it lacks high-end victories against projected NCAA tournament teams, now it has two, for sure. Um, if it were to lose at home to Syracuse, then I think it basically cancels out the Virginia win at that point. Syracuse is 13-6, and six, has won three in a row. Uh, it's also fighting for its own bubble life, and this becomes a fairly urgent game, I think, for the outlook of both of these teams. So that's my overall takeaway on Duke. Obviously, it's an interesting story. Matthew Hurt's been, been uh, stellar. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Breakfield was wonderful uh, on Saturday night. He could be a breakout freshman. There's no that's That was also really good. So good gains for the Blue Devils as they continue to kind of roll on without Jalen Johnson and, and put that story behind him. So, and I'm not saying you need to remember this, just people in general need to remember this when discussing Duke in the NCAA tournament. Um, you got to remember who you're comparing them to. It's other bubble teams. We're not comparing them to Gonzaga and Baylor and Illinois. It, we're comparing them to other bubble teams. And right now, they are not there. I, I'm telling you, but I'm about to tell you how they can get there. Right now, they're two and three in quadrant one, they're three and three in quadrant two, three and two in quadrant three. 2-0 and in quadrant four. So Duke is 5-6 and six in the first two quadrants with two Q3 losses. By the way, one of the Q3 losses is Michigan State. I know. Nobody would have thought that on the night that it happened. They lose to Michigan State by six and Miami by, at Miami by a bucket. Those are the quad three losses. They got four games left on the regular season schedule as it exists right now. Like you said, Monday at home against Syracuse, then Saturday at home against Louisville. Both of those games are quadrant two games. If they win both of those games this week, Come Saturday night, the Blue Devils would be seven and six in the first two quadrants with two quadrant three losses. Right now, Palm has Indiana in the field at eight and eight in the first two quadrants with two quad three losses. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, right at, at that point, Duke's yeah. resume is better than Indiana's resume. They got to win the two games, though. I agree with you. I, I, listen, I'm not saying if they split this week. I'm saying if they win both these games this week, I think when we talk next Sunday, Duke would probably be projected in most brackets. They, they got a tricky road ahead. They got these two, and then they got at Georgia Tech and at North Carolina. I don't think they're getting there. They can. I just don't think they're getting there. I don't think they're good enough. Now, maybe they maybe they really will. We could be talking a week from now, and they win both of these. They look awesome, and it's a completely different deal. And, oh, by the way, I'm almost like, give me Duke in the in the first four or give me nothing. I, I, got no, I got no desire to see, like, Duke on the 10 line. I want to see Duke playing, like, at Mackey Arena uh, in the first four or not at all there. They have a shot, but I, I'm, I still lean that they're not getting there. We could, we could get Duke. What would be the best first four? Duke, Indiana in the first four. Duke, Indiana. I mean, if you really <laughs> want to look at this, how it, like, could it still land this way? Duke, Indiana, North Carolina still dancing in that realm. I know, I'll get to their just dynamite win in a minute here. Um, and then what's another like big-time team that's in that area that could technically land there? I'd say the, the other big team... Uh, UConn's a fairly big brand uh, that's in that region. I mean, if you had that, that would be... 
insane, frankly. Um, or even like Louisville might wind up being in that spot too. Like if you uh, imagine if we had a first four that had every single team in it had won a national championship kind of deal. That would be that would actually be the best possible outcome for the first four you could imagine, especially with four games on one night in prime time to start the tournament. But we'll see. We'd get our we'd get our twenty five percent capacity inside of Mackey. No problem for that. You're absolutely right about that. Here's what I here's what I honestly think. You got to win these. You got to win these next two home games. Like that's a that's non negotiable. You got to win those. And then I think you split at Georgia Tech at North Carolina. Those mm-hmm. are two quad one opportunities. Win the two games this week. Split the two next week. I think they enter the ACC tournament just on the right side of the bubble. And and like in that situation where they can't lose the first one, you know, one of those deals. But there there's a path there that didn't seem to be there as recently as just a few weeks ago, when you start comparing them to actual other bubble teams, they're not that far removed from where they need to be. Trivia time. Okay. You mentioned, you mentioned, this is another thing working in Duke's favor. You mentioned that Duke is now 30th at Ken Palm. How many postseason eligible teams with a top 30 Ken Palm ranking on Selection Sunday missed one of the past six NCAA tournaments. Thank you for qualifying this. So you went and checked the data on Selection Sunday, what the rankings were. It took a while, but I did it. Okay, I'm getting there. Love it. You say how many? How many times? Or how many? Or how many? Like, want me to name the team? Well, this Please. stupid not having a tournament last season just screws up Forget the that. way you talk about Forget this that. stuff. Yeah, I'm not talking about the past six years. I'm talking about the past six tournaments. So 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Those tournaments. How many teams that were top 30 at Ken Palm on Selection Sunday missed the NCAA tournament? I feel like you're trying to trick me here. So I'm not. I'm going to say zero, but if it's, if, if it's more than zero and there's actually a team, I'll try and guess it. It is more than zero. Um, but it ain't, it ain't a lot, and that's my point. Tournament eligible, man. I'm not gonna. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like a mid major that would have been in the in that picture. We we talked about one the other day, and I said they got left out with strong computer numbers, but they didn't even try to schedule. Saint Mary's, so Saint Mary's, yes, Saint Mary's. Mary's in 2018. They were 28th on Selection Sunday. They ended up finishing 32nd after losing in the third round of the NIT. But on Selection Sunday, that Saint Mary's was 28th. And there's more than just that. Yeah, there's three more. The answer is four. Okay. You won't guess the teams. Let me just give you the teams. It's 2018 Penn State. I was going to guess that. They were 29th on Selection Sunday, finished 19th after winning the NIT. And then the other two came in 2019. It was 2019 um, Clemson, 29th on Selection Sunday, finished 36th after losing the second round of the NIT. And 2019 Texas was 30th on Selection Sunday, finished 25th after winning the NIT. So only four times in the past six years – didn't happen in 17, 16, 15, or 14. Only four times in the past six NCAA tournaments has a team been top 30 at Kempom on Selection Sunday and missed the NCAA tournament, and two of those four went on to win the NIT. Duke 2021 NIT champs, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know I had to work that in there. You know I had to work that in. What I am telling you is that Duke has a real chance to get an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, and if it doesn't, it is almost certainly one in the NIT. Love it. Well, we'll see. that it, it is at least developed for the time being into a compelling story. Within 26 hours of, of us recording this, we'll see if it maintains that. Syracuse needs that game just as desperately on Monday night as Duke does, so that's actually a fairly urgent, watchable Monday night tilt. I will say one more thing on this whole Jalen Johnson issue because I read a lot of stuff, watched a lot of stuff, listened to a lot of stuff this weekend. It has been wild watching people twist themselves into knots to try to call this Anything other than quitting? Have you noticed that at all? Or am a I just seeing this I from just, my own I perspective? I can't believe how big it. I just can't believe how big a thing it became. You know, I just I don't know. Like they, uh, game day spent almost twenty minutes on this thing. They really. I kept. <laughs> I was watching it too, and like, listen, I I watch it every Saturday morning. I think those guys are terrific, right? Um, but it was like at one point I was like, they really carved out a lot of time for this. <laughs> <laughs> they like, did, and it wasn't just them. Like, and listen, I had to write on Duke Saturday night specifically because it won and it was relevant, and because of the Johnson thing. But I know I hear what you're saying, um, and I guess it's just because of Duke. But I'm like, damn, this thing has had legs for five days, and still kind of does now. Like, if they win again Monday night, I think it continues. Like, they're gonna have to. Oh, because gonna, it provides a whole new narrative. Like right. their best, their most talented player quit, and they got better. 
Like, it's a whole new story now. I hear you, man. Again, say about it what you want. He quit the team. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, let, let me walk through this one more time. Because, <laughs> like, I'm watching people and they're like, you know, he opted out or he didn't. Like, let me walk you through this one more time real quick. Jalen Johnson enrolled at Duke to play college basketball. He was on the team. He was a starter. He was playing a lot. Then his role was reduced. Then he played a season-low eight minutes in a game last weekend, and then he left the team. That's quitting. What I just described has forever been called quitting. I don't know why it's so wrong to call it that now. Instead, like people are calling it a, quote, business decision and saying he's just protecting his investment. He's just protecting his investment. Here's my question. What investment does Jalen Johnson have to protect right now that he didn't have to protect before he even enrolled at Duke? Like the best thing he could have done for his investment was be coached, get better, lead his team to the NCAA tournament, or at least be a part of it. Instead, he quit. And like I said last week, it's fine. It's his right, obviously. But that doesn't mean we have to dance around it or label it something it's not. He quit. He's, he's not the first. He won't be the last. But that is undeniably what he did. He quit his team. I don't know why it's wrong to say that. He quit his team. It's not wrong to say that. It's an objectively <laughs> fair statement. All right, let's bounce around and touch on a few of the other notable results from the weekend. Top-ranked Gonzaga crushed San Diego, 106-69. Zags are now 22-0. Illinois crushed Minnesota, 94-63. The Illini have won five straight. Villanova beat UConn, 68-60. So the Wildcats are still atop the Big East standings. Got a two-game lead in the loss column. West Virginia won at Texas. Wild game, chaotic ending. Kansas gave Texas Tech another loss. The Jayhawks have now won five straight. USC, seven-game winning streak, snapped by Arizona. Trojans are now tied atop the Pac-12 standings with UCLA. Kentucky, whoo boy, smacked Tennessee in Knoxville. The Vols are 5-5 five and five in their past 10 games. Michigan State won at Indiana. That might have put the Hoosiers on the wrong side of the bubble. North Carolina smashed Louisville by 45 points. UNC, 3-1 and one in its past four. St. Louis, St. John's, Utah State, Ole Miss, Bubble teams mm-hmm. that took losses. The St. John's loss was a loss at home to DePaul. Like, that's a resume destroyer. I think that covers most of the notable results. You just take it wherever you want to take it. Most of it. The only ones that I had all those marked down. I didn't even know if you were going to go to Utah State. Good on you. Boise State gets the sweep there. And now it's got uh, San Diego State upcoming there. Boise State's in a good spot there. Utah State has work to do. The only ones you didn't mention, uh, Damaging losses, Seton Hall to Georgetown, and then Stanford going down in three OTs to Washington State. Those were damaging losses as well. Um, and I don't believe you mentioned Maryland getting its fourth quad one road win and its fourth win in a row. Terps, the outlook was not that rosy three weeks ago, and you've done yourself well of clearly tracking toward getting into the NCAA tournament. Those quad one road wins are going to be worth just tons and tons so good on Maryland Rutgers and Indiana by the way now are on a collision course in a bubble game that's as urgent as Duke Syracuse in my opinion so keep an eye on that um where do we start I'm gonna start with UNC Louisville um that was Louisville's worst loss since the second world war like (laughs) Carolina what in the world like amazing Amazing job! Like I, I had, I was clued into that game for as much as I could be riveted. After you know, they're just winning by thirty, and it's deep in the second half, and I'm like, all right, whatever. But th- so that happens, and like Louisville's coming off a pause situation, so it's it's somewhat forgivable. Uh, First game in nineteen days. Yeah, so that's somewhat forgivable here, and like Carolina has been front, like it's going to play Marquette in a non-conference. I'm loving that Carolina is doing what we kind of hoped would happen and coaches say would happen, but it's only really happening with North Carolina, and that's, well, we're going to lose league games, so we're going to schedule some non-conference games. No one's doing that except Roy Williams, although Kelvin Sampson and Western Kentucky or the Houston, they're going to meet up on Thursday night as well. But, um, so Louisville loses, and then, like, it's whatever, but we saw we saw the video of Chris Mack celebrating that Munsell video. Did you see that? Yes, that, uh, as a rough, nobody had a worse Saturday than Chris Mack among college basketball head coaches. Got uh, bombed by 45 points and then a slightly embarrassing video. It's uh, trust fine. Me, trust me. They're more embarrassing videos. <laughs> like not of Chris, but like just in the world, right? It could have been worse. That's why I'm not making a big uh, or any deal out of it is because, you know, if I, 
if I, I'm sure while with friends in the presence of iPhones while drinking, I've, I've done or said some things I would probably rather not have shown to the world. So like, whatever, it's it's all harmless, but still funny. I mean, if you didn't hear it, this is, this is actually direct audio. Are you a chicken? (laughs) It's just, it's Mac clearly celebrating with, uh, I guess a former Louisville football player. um, And the guy is saying that Kenny Payne was responsible for Kentucky's (laughs) success or whatever. Like, it's fine. Mac's got a press conference on Monday where he's going to clearly address this. Um, So, just an interesting Saturday for, there for Louisville. Um, what would you say if you're Chris? Let's, let's try to oh – okay, we're, we're counseling him now. What do you say? I mean, I say, listen, the video was intended to be private, but I was with a good friend of mine. I had just achieved one of the greatest wins of my coaching career by managing to beat Kentucky, and it was a moment of celebration that was intended to be private, but clearly I should have used better judgment knowing that no video can ever be assured to not you know enter the public realm and – I've talked about it with my with my players. I've sent my apologies to Kentucky and John Calipari and Kenny Payne, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a small uh, slip up, but you know we know Louisville fans love their basketball. I love the I love the cards. L's up, and uh, we look forward to facing Kentucky and Rupp Arena next year. Something like that. That was me. Do you just think? Improbable. Do you think he's actually apologized to John? No shot. <laughs> no, no shot. No shot. No, he'll, no. He'll, he'll publicly say I meant no disrespect to yeah, Coach Cal. He'll say fine. he'll publicly say Whatever. that. Like this is goofing around. He was he was he looked to be if we're being completely honest, and I don't know this, but if we're being completely honest, he looked like he had a massive win. He was in the presence of friends. He was maybe enjoying a drink, and he was having a good time. Yeah, and to me, it's listen. It's only a deal because it's Kentucky Louisville. So whatever. The fact that it came out when it did was just weird timing as well. I believe it was. Uh, Mike Rutherford, who does a great job covering Louisville, uh, he said, no, uh, Mac leaked this intentionally after losing by 45 points. <laughs> he wanted to change the story in the direction of the weekend. Well, I, I don't think that happened, but if it did, uh, who's to say whether that was good or not? Um, listen, you're, you, I'm kicking you off the Tennessee bandwagon. What the hell, man? I've kicked myself off. I Come could, on I now. Can't. Dude, like when I write, so every morning, I have to write. I don't just rank tw- teams. I write. I write three to four hundred words of, of, of like. Sometimes it's just straightforward because I'm just trying to get through it. Sometimes it's column esque. Sometimes I try to make points that I don't make somewhere else. And I, I on Saturday morning because there were no games Friday that had anything to do with the top twenty five and one. I had to you know write about something that was going to happen on Saturday. And I was like, well, let me explain to people how Tennessee can still accomplish everything it was supposed to accomplish. And I make some really nice points. And then they just don't show up on America's most watched network. I mean, we were both on CBS Sports HQ pre, half, and post. So we watched every dribble. And it's just like, I mean, they didn't show up. They didn't make a run in the second half. Nothing. I mean, it was just an awful performance. They shot 32% from the field, 27.3% from three. Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson, the the, the two five-star freshmen, six of 25 from the field, one of nine from three. And the Vols are now... 72nd in adjusted offensive efficiency, fifth in defensive efficiency. They're, they're basically the opposite of Iowa. They're, they're like, they're, they're like the opposite of Iowa. Yeah. They, they, they can really guard you, but they can't score. Iowa can really score, but they can't guard you. Although Iowa has been guarding better lately, but listen, if you can't score like the cliche, I think this is correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. The cliche in sports is defense wins championships. It's not true in, in college basketball. Offense usually wins championships, and Tennessee just does not score. It's a problem, man. That's a six seed at best right now, and they're going in the wrong direction there. They're so. five and five in their past ten games, with yeah. four of the losses coming to unranked teams, three of them by double digits. It's a problem. They looked bad on Saturday. So glad you brought. They it looked. Up. They looked out at. They looked yes. out. Yes, which should like, not happen. Could, they looked. They, they, Kentucky looked stronger. Kentucky looked more athletic. It wasn't, you made the point on HQ, like Kentucky was shooting unusually well from three, and it's true. But, like, it was also uh, Isaiah Jackson dunk, Jacob Toppin dunk. They were just, like, getting to the rim whenever they wanted to. So it, I mean, that was a – it wasn't quite Louisville against UNC bad, but it was bad. Um West Virginia, Texas, that was a revenge win for the Mountaineers. They lost at the buzzer at the hands of Andrew Jones earlier this season. Um, West Virginia, twice this season now, has come back from a 19-point deficit to win. It also did it against Oklahoma. That Both of those matched the best ever under Huggins at West Virginia in terms of double-digit comebacks. Now they've done it twice in a season. Uh, so good on them. Um, I don't quite know, and I listen, we were on HQ, so I was bouncing around a ton. I didn't 
I didn't check in on Shaka's postgame comments. Uh, I'm sure he was asked about it, but Courtney Ramey and Jones had an elongated disagreement. That might ultimately be nothing. Like, it's a big-time game, and I don't really ever have an issue with players if they come to blows in the midst of competition. Like, ideally, you obviously want that in a locker room or on a team bus if it's going to happen at all, and you don't want it, period. But uh, I'm not sure if that's a thing yet. I mean, did you have any particular take? I mean, listen, it made for some compelling video, I guess, and I did talk about it on the late-night Saturday HQ show. But... Uh, you know, Texas has been slightly underperformed at this point. I think that's fair to say, given what it has, and it should have won the game. And there was the brutal end of game sequence. Like, there's a whole bunch with that game, Parrish. Um, I just don't know if if two Texas teammates having a verbal altercation that lasted like 20 seconds is really a, a major harbinger of things to come. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, like if I'm being honest, I don't know the background on those two. I mean, I obviously know both players. I don't know what their relationship is like. Sometimes I, if I saw something like that, I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, those two guys hate each other, you know, or like, oh yeah, you know, he slept with the, the, the dude's girlfriend and now they like, they're still teammates, but they hate each other. Like I've, I've heard all those stories. I don't know if there's anything there between Courtney and Andrew. If there's not, then I mean, it's nothing. It's just like you're in a high stakes game. You're starting to blow a lead and I think it was rooted in Courtney thought Andrew wasn't guarding mm-hmm. and, and like, was he, like, yo man, like that's your guy, you know, that type of thing. And then it just escalated and then whatever it's over. I, and, and I don't know the background between the two guys. I'm going to assume it was just a heat of the moment basketball thing. No big deal. Um, I did think the final second was interesting because I've been arguing with West Virginia fans like for the past 24 hours about it. <laughs> okay. What is your take on what 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 went? What is your take on what happened in the final second? For people who don't know, it is um, West Virginia had been down nineteen. They come back. They got a two point lead. We're inside of a second, zero point three on the clock. Um, it's baseline out of bounds for Texas. They get it to Jericho Sims. He is. There is contact made. First off, there's a lot of hold and grab and stuff, but like that's just the way those plays are unfold. I'm not, I'm not that offended that that wasn't called. But then Jericho Sims gets the ball. He is hit on his arm. It is, it, 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 but the refs, they just game over. He misses a shot because presumably because he's hit on his arm, and the refs are like, time has expired, game over. Shaka goes after the refs after the game. Shaka was asked, "Did the ref give you any explanation?" And Shaka said, "Zero, zero explanation." Where I'll 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 say whatever I want gotta say in a minute. You okay. where are you at on this? I, I I must I'm assuming you don't <laughs> think it matters nearly as much as I do. I just sort of got caught in it, and then I was arguing for the sake of arguing. Does it even matter what I'm about to say right now? You're like you are. No, I'm. I'm I do want to hear. Okay. I want to hear. Okay. And then if you're All wrong, right. I'll tell you you're wrong. The, the you've got the ball teed up, and you're ready to swing from the heels. Um, lot too much contact for me. So. Um, before the pass, and then he gets it. <sighs> that behind-the-backboard angle, it doesn't look as severe as the other angle. I agree with that. There's still enough contact to justify a call if you want it there, but I do think it's a total 50-50. I thought there was actually a, there was a hold before that that should have been called. And so, and had it been, then we could be talking about a different outcome altogether there. That was my general takeaway, but that's, I mean... It's it's a hard situation to officiate because you want to get it right, and sometimes, frankly, any official will tell you this. Uh, sometimes they don't get it right here, and they didn't get it right here. Okay, so we're mostly on the same page here, if not entirely on the same page here. You are accurate. The side view makes it look violent, and the under the backboard view makes it look like a foul, but not not nearly as violent. So I acknowledge that. Um, the only thing I the like the main argument that I heard from some people that I just like first up just falls apart logically. It's like, well, they shouldn't have blew a 19 point lead. Well, you know, you shouldn't have blew a 19 point lead. Well, there's nothing in the rule book that says if you blow a 19 point lead, you can't get a whistle in the final second, right? Like if, if you get fouled in the final second, I don't care whether you had a 19 point lead or a 90 point lead. Like it's a foul in the final second. So, so shut up. Um, the argument is, from from the other side that says no the the game sh- was over is that there's only point three left on the clock Jericho Sims has to tip it he didn't tip it he caught it and shot it and therefore the shot should not have been allowed and to that I say maybe but the refs did not wave the shot off 
If you go look at the official play-by-play mm-hmm. of Texas West Virginia right now, one of the last things you're going to see is Jericho Sims misses layup. The refs did not wave the shot off. That is a shot that counted according to the official transcript of the game. It is it is one of the field goal attempts that Texas uh, had. It is in the play-by-play. So the shot counted according to the official transcript of the game. In that moment, you've either got to wave the shot off and say he caught it and shot it. That is not allowed with point three. You know, uh, game over. Or you've got to call the foul. One of the two. I don't care which one, honestly. But you've got to do one of the two. You can't just swallow your whistle and let time expire without an explanation. If you want to say he caught it and shot it and didn't tip it, say that. Wave the shot off. That's not what they did. They allowed that to be an official field goal attempt, and they swallowed their whistle when he got hit on his arm. In getting the win, West Virginia got to 15 and 6. I, I, I carry on all that stuff. Um, and uh, listen, March is right around the corner. We got to nothing like a good old uh, officiating controversy. I'm so excited for more of them that we just know are coming because the sport can't help itself. Big win for the Mountaineers, and they, I still love their upside there. Um, the only two other games that you mentioned that I just want to touch on real quick, that was a good Nova win over UConn, uh, 68-60. Um, a, a needed quality top quadrant win for the Wildcats who have not had a ton of home opportunities. They get it there. UConn wilted a little bit late. We'll see. They are certainly a, a dangerous bubble team. And then Illinois, Minnesota, uh, Illinois' top end. I mean, I was the competition wasn't as good, but I was as impressed watching Illinois again as as I've ever been here. Uh, Io DeSumo has had two triple-doubles in his past four games. He's a monster out there. And Minnesota, I mean, Parrish, they are spiraling here. Like, they do, they need to get a road win, which they probably will because they're going to walk into Pinnacle Bank soon enough if that game can be played as scheduled. They're going to go ahead and walk into Pinnacle don't Bank. Count, don't count your eggs before your... What has to hatch? There we go. Don't count your chickens uh, before they hatch. The eggs? There we go. Um, don't put your cat in a room and leave it there. Exactly, exactly. Oh, I love it. You're going to be studying up on Schrodinger's cat later tonight. I can't There's a zero percent chance of that. <laughs> um, I've heard a choke in your chicken, but I didn't know anything about this cat thing. By the way, Purdue walked into Pinnacle Bank on Saturday. Just wanted to keep it's you up just, to date. It's just this is one of those years, you know. We're it, gonna it look walked, back when we look back on this year. It's just going to be one of those years. It, the doors were open. They just walked right in. Just right into that venue is where they went. There Everybody is a walks in there. Minnesota's got one coming. But in all seriousness, they're now 13 and 10. Got to win the next two. Home to Northwestern, then at Nebraska. And then really at Penn State's a tricky one. And then home to Rutgers. Got to get it done. Um, if they don't get it done, uh, I think Richard Pitino's job could be in, in trouble there. He, he's got to get to the tournament here. And they, they were in position to do it. And I think they probably will ultimately get it done. But it's just, it was... It was so non-competitive. I hope it didn't kill the team spirit. Like Illinois was just roasting them all left and right. There, Desuma looked amazing. Illinois looked like, frankly, the best team in the country. And I say that knowing full well how awesome Michigan looks and Gonzaga still looks. And Baylor will probably look when it comes back. Um, love the top end of it. Oh, that reminds me, trivia time. Hmm. Trivia time. Um, so Michigan wins. Still in position for one seed. Ohio State still position. Illinois still position. Three of the five best teams. How many times? Has the Big Ten had two one seeds in the NCAA tournament? And when was the most recent instance of that happening? Okay. The answer is clearly six. And it most recently happened in 2015. Mm. That was the other trivia time, so you're on it. 2015 is the most recent instance of of the Big Ten having a one seed, period. That's Wisconsin. Correct. 2001 was the last time that the Big Ten had two one-seeds mini-trivia time. Who do you think the coaches were in 2001 when the Big Ten had two one-seeds? Oh, my God. (laughs) At at what schools? If I tell you the schools, you're going to know the coaches. Okay, okay. Gary Williams. I'm sorry. What? Hold on. <laughs> they weren't in the AC. They weren't in the Big Ten then. They were in the ACC then. Woo! <laughs> that it was the same year Gary Williams was Big Ten uh, Coach of the Year. Mm. This old, Maryland should not be in the Big Ten. So I know. I always my brain. Well, I don't know how how many more years that's going to take. I think I mixed that up. Yeah. So and then I did now. Now I'm mixing it up the other way. There were times as recently as a year ago where it would be like. 
Saturday, you know, February and Saturday, Maryland at Iowa. And I'm like, why is Maryland playing Iowa? This I'm week? with you. I, my brain is not adjusted to this. Has not. I, I still okay. think Maryland's I take in the back Gary, I take back Gary Williams. In two, so 2001, we're talking about peak Izzo. So maybe Tom Izzo? Correct. Okay. In 2001. Hmm. What do we think it was? This is gettable, but yet maybe a little bit tricky. Gettable, but tricky. Gettable, but tricky. Mm. Mike Davis. No, that was 02 when Indiana was a four seed when it upset number one Duke in the Sweet 16 at Rupp Arena on a Friday night. Um, the answer is Bill Self and Illinois. How about that? Yeah, Bill Self in Illinois, 2001. That was the last time that the Big Ten had two number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. It's only been done twice before in league history. They're going to get it again this year, clearly. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. They're uh, they're headed that way. I, in fact, I would think it's going to be almost, almost impossible for it not to be like that, considering where everyone's at at this point. Like, th- it's going to break for either Michigan, Illinois, or Ohio State. I, I just don't think anyone else can uh, can leapfrog them. So the Big Ten is going to probably be in a, in, a, in a deserved spot there. The other time that it happened back in 1993, you had Indiana and Michigan both as one seeds out of the Big Ten. That's the second instance. Michigan, of course, with the Fab Five, made the Final Four, lost in the title game to UNC. Indiana was a one seed that fell to second-seeded Kansas in the Elite Eight. Okay, Apple reviews. I got three here. I picked out one. Here's 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 uh here's the first one. It comes from Cole. Cole is in South Carolina. Dude, are you kidding me? Am I am I kidding this you? This is the second straight week where you've picked the same review that I was going to use. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> this is from Cole. So roughly 20 years ago, I was a South Carolina second grade student. I don't remember much from the second grade, but I definitely remember my teacher, whose name was Mrs. Parrish. I remember how patient and kind Mrs. Parrish was and how she helped me rock penmanship. I will also never forget the lessons she taught us about the extinction of dodo birds and how in 20 years we would experience the dumbest pandemic of our lifetime. I also remember that she had three young daughters, two of which, two of whom were around my age. Looking back, I'm also sure I remember Mrs. Parrish mentioning something about an older son that she had when I connect these dots blatantly obvious my teacher was GP's mom what a great lady and molder of young minds shouts to teachers should uh, <laughs> uh, go Clemson Tigers <laughs> okay well done Clemson I feel like we've got a pretty strong Clemson contingent backing by the way but yes um, my mom was not a teacher I believe she was in South Carolina or anywhere else but and I know you know this, but for the new listeners, do you know what my mom's claim to fame is besides being my mom? We've talked about it on the pod, and I'm forgetting. Um, give me as close of a hint as you can without giving it away. See if it triggers the old the old flame. Tom Cruise. Uh, she married a, Tom, Cruise Tom Cruise before Cruise. she married your dad. That's what it was. Yes. Tom Cruise went from my mom to Nicole Kidman. That's right. And then to what's her name? Kate, Katie Holmes, another. Katie Holmes, Katie Holmes. Right. There you go. How are you gonna forget Katie Holmes, man? I, I, you forgot R.J. Barrett one time. What are you I don't about? even I, know who that is. <laughs> she uh, Tom Cruise. Did that trigger it for you? It it, it actually didn't. I, it it. You know. My mom graduated from South Haven High School oh. in 1973. She was the vice president of her class, and the class president was a man named John Grisham who went on to write A Time to Kill and The Firm. And I believe if the story, if I remember the story correctly, she typeset A Time to Kill, which I think was John's first book, and they, like, sold it out of his car? Like, it was one of those deals. Like, to me, when I was young, it was like, that was Mr. John. And I remember, I, I can still remember this vividly. My mom one day saying, you know, they're making Mr. John's book into a movie, and Tom Cruise is going to play the main character in the firm. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're not making Mr. John's movie <laughs> book into a movie <laughs> with Tom Cruise. And then they did. They did. I, I do remember to... this now. Yes. Um, and just to, to uh, provide evidence that John Grisham seems like a good guy, like I, I have no relationship with him all these years later. Like he, he would know me because like he went to high school with my parents and he was like around when I was very young. But um, they had their whatever year class reunion few years ago 
and he came back and paid for he paid for the entire thing and actually came back and like i just remember being on facebook that night and it was like all my mom's friends were like here's a picture of me and john grisham here's a picture of me and john grisham so he seems like a, a good guy who's done well that's uh that's wonderful stuff and uh yeah john seems like a good dude i did i did remember that story okay apple review number two it comes from kathy she doesn't say where she's from with a c or a k kathy with a k all right maybe better. she doesn't say where she's from i don't know let's just read it this is this is easily the best podcast out there. Would recommend to anyone that has the slightest interest in college basketball. Sometimes I catch myself paying closer attention to the pod than I do the games. I do too, honestly. You don't need to pay that much attention to the games. Like you will tell you what happened and then you know, throw in some trivia times. Growing up down the street from UMass Lowell, it cracks me up every time they are brought up. Can't believe they blew their chance at making the intro, but the addition of the dodo is a close second. Also love the refusal to acknowledge RJ Who. As a proud member of Big Blue Nation and a John Calipari enthusiast, it's safe to say this year's been tough, but the pod keeps me positive. Thanks, fellas. Shout out to you both and your oldest GP. That's very nice from Kathy. UMass Lowell, they they had to win that game. Do we remember who they had to beat so they could, so they could, was it Virginia Tech maybe? I thought it was Virginia. They needed to get a win over somebody early and we were going to make them a permanent part. They blew it. They're done. And then they blew it and Elvis rolled over in his grave. Did I tell you, yeah, exactly, did I tell you that like the former coach at UMass Lowell in like the 80s, someone let him know this and then someone, he got my phone number and t- started texting me be like, hey, listen, <laughs> I just want to thank you for bringing a lot of discussion about the program i was really proud I was like, oh boy oh you know what i just saw this we we did not do umass lowell fair at all oh boy we said you got to win this game to be a part of the island college basketball podcast forever and they didn't win the game but do you rem- you i'll tell you who it was against it was at ohio state yeah yeah it was so- a one they play a one seat on the road and they were they played them tough we didn't know they were playing a one seat on the road. We made we made the Riverhawks. We like that's where we set the bar. Hey, Riverhawks, go go beat a one seat on the road, and maybe we'll talk about you again. Riverhawk might as well be a dodo bird, as far as I'm concerned. Get that's a here. tough that's a tough ask. We asked too much of the Riverhawks and Pat Duquette. We asked too much of Pat's team. Elvis is alma mater. Remember when people were tweeting? It's like I'm, I've been on Wikipedia. I just can't find any evidence that Elvis actually that's went their to UMass. Pro- no, that's their problem. If you if you can't find evidence that Elvis went to UMass Lowell, please research harder. Thank you. You either know the El- the story of Elvis Aaron Presley from Tupelo, Mississippi, or you don't know the story of Elvis Aaron Presley from Tupelo, Mississippi. Part of that story doesn't involve him enrolling at UMass Lowell to study history before he dropped out to embark on a music career. And the rest, as they say, is history. Next. This one comes from Matt. It says, GP and Deadleg, thank you for the entertainment and fun that you bring each and every podcast. I am among those frozen in Texas due to the winter storms, and I'm currently going on 72 hours without power. While sitting in our car to stay warm and charge phones, the fun that Parrish and Norlander have has, have has legitimately brought laughter while I'm in the dumbest power outage of my lifetime. I've even gone back to listen to old podcasts that I've already listened to. I like college basketball, but I love this podcast, and I hope my Texas A&M Aggies can one day be good enough to be positively mentioned on the pod. Thanks again. I do think one day, I believe in Buzz Williams, I think one day Texas A&M will be good enough to get prime real estate on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. And I really do uh, appreciate that. Like, it's been hell on these people in Texas, man. Like, you know, we in the southern United States, like we touched on Friday, it's been rough. But, like, you know, I, I never lost power. I never lost heat. I never lost water. In Texas, I mean, there's he. He is without uh, power for 72 hours. And I was talking to somebody over the weekend, Terrence Johnson, who's the interim head coach at Texas State, and like, in, by the way, is in his own little Isaac Brown situation, like yeah. interim coach and first place in the league, like might get the job. He had to go shopping for his entire. They were stranded, and 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 he had to go. Sh- the players had nothing, no water, no food, no nothing. And so here's the interim basketball coach in Texas, having to travel around in the ridiculous roads to try to find just actually food for his players because they had none. I mean, that is what. Coaches and people in general, everybody at Tech Cruz has been dealing with over the past week in that state. So, man, our, our thoughts really are with you. 
um, we we know it's been tough. And Matt, that was a that was really sweet. It made me smile to think that somebody is without power and they're sitting in the car charging their phones and having a good time with us as a distraction. That's nice for sure. Absolutely. Um, I got no review this week. All I can say is, if you're curious about the 99 teams that have made the Sweet 16 since Arkansas last did it. We'll give a shout to Joshua T. Nolan, who dropped every single one into the Apple review. So you can check that on your iPhone. Go ahead to the pod and then scroll down. You'll see. And if you're and it, he he included the number of Sweet 16s they've made. This is hi- highly impressive. Also, um, there must have been 25 reviews that answered the trivia question. That's a whole awesome. Lot. You're all amazing. So uh, it got me thinking. I don't have anything for right now, uh, but maybe later this season or in the off season, I might try and. Uh, Get like a legitimately hard trivia question uh, that's gonna that, that'll make you work. And if uh, and if, if someone can answer it on time correctly, maybe I can give away. We can have a little pod giveaway of sorts there. So just keep that in mind. Love the reviews. Do keep them coming. March is almost here for those that are eager. Just know, I've already started working on the intro for the first episode of next. Oh month, wow! So that's okay. Good. Oh wow! Um, no, the reviews are terrific. Gordon Voigt left a Norlander story um, in the reviews. It was long. It's a freaking novella. I know. I couldn't read the whole thing on the podcast, but I did read the whole thing. It's well done. So shouts to you, Gordon. M. Leftwich uh, had a story about me mumbling to myself at Pequod's in Chicago, which, by the way, is my favorite. I think my favorite uh, pizza place in Chicago, Pequod. You, how you feel about ta- Pequod? Well, first of all, I think I told you that Pequod's is the best in Chicago, and so you since enjoyed it. And I almost picked that one. Uh, that one kind of blew my mind here because, yes, Pequod's is amazing, and I think a lot of people aren't aware of just how good it is. But, yes, I also I picked up on that, too. Love Chicago deep dish pizza. Amazing. Oh, man, I want it right now. I want it right now. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry. MF and Teagle legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening. Once again, in the middle of the absolute dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Norlander, I never seen one like this. I never seen one like this. And Dr. Fauci said we might be wearing masks through 2000, all the way to 2022. That's what he said today. Never seen one like this. I'll be fully vaccinated next time we talk. And if you say so. That's what they tell me. I've got to do half times on CBS Sports Network tomorrow night, and I've got to be fully vaccinated in the morning. And what the, everybody is telling me is that I'm going to feel like hell all day long after getting the second shot. First shot, fine. Second shot, they're telling me I'm going to be nauseous and sick for 24 hours. So, so wish me luck. Good luck, half, bud. I'll be doing half times for my home, feeling terrible, but I'll be fully vaccinated dumbest pandemic i ever seen my whole life if you're not subscribed to the podcast please go subscribe to the iron college basketball podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts including apple Podcasts. leave a review five-star rating we will talk to you again wednesday morning till then take care